Greetings, Commanders. Greetings, everyone. And welcome to this very special edition of Lave Radio, where we are doing a special episode for the convention Nine Worlds. I'm Alan Stroud, official elite dangerous author and co-host of the podcast Lave Radio. And joining me today is Chris Jarvis, fellow host of Lave Radio and audio drama producer, an originator of the unofficial elite dangerous audio drama Escape Velocity, a science fiction series hosted on laveradio.com. Hello. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about the ways in which we make and record Lave Radio and specifically Escape Velocity. We're going to go through some of the mechanics of this because this is something that the Nine Worlds podcast track have expressed an interest in and also just to give people a bit of an idea in relation to what we do and in relation to some of the stuff to do with Elite Dangerous. For those of you who've joined us from the Science Fiction Convention or coming to this new and have not heard anything about Elite or Elite Dangerous, well, this was a computer game that started back in 1984, produced by David Braben and Ian Bell, called Elite. It was very, very successful in the 1980s. Spawned two sequels known as Frontier and Frontier First Encounters, uh, the last of which released in 1995. And then subsequently, there was a Kickstarter fund at the back end of 2012 to produce the computer game Elite Dangerous, which we're all waiting for, hopefully to come out this year or the start of next year. Frontier Developments are working very hard on this. They've got everything together for the beta release. But what the Lave Radio team have done is, through the entire period, chosen to follow the development of the computer games. So we've been essentially commenting on the way in which Frontier have been putting together their work and how they've released artwork, how they've released conceptual drawings, how they've released some of the aspects of the game in alpha testing and so on and so forth. And we run a regular show as quickly and as often as we possibly can whenever there's anything to comment on in relation to newsletters and in relation to other releases. Spawning out of this came Escape Velocity, which was the brainchild of Chris Jarvis and was designed as a bit of a fiction drama to whet the appetite of the elite community while they waited for some of the releases of the game. Chris, tell us about Escape Velocity. What is it? So Escape Velocity is a full cast audio drama. So this is different from something like a narrated audio book. This is actually film without the pictures in the kind of loosest possible sense. So these are dramatic scenes. There's dialogue. There's no voiceover or narrator unless you choose to do that. So yeah, so Escape Velocity was really a chance to explore kind of my own passion for radio drama and also to fill a bit of a gap because there'd been a few Kickstarters around elite fiction and most of those were at least 12 months away that turned out to be kind of 18 months away as it panned out so really i was looking at having something which was a regular fiction input for the community rather than kind of waiting for all of those things to come out and yeah i mean it was really just having started the podcast i went away and i produced some spoof adverts that we put into the show we wanted to define sections as we were moving from one thing to another so in terms of the structure of the show it was useful to have these little sort of vignettes You've flown ships at max speed. You've felt the power of the 30 megawatt mining laser. You've experienced the efficiency of the MB4 mining machine. Wow. But it leaves every hardcore miner with just one question. Why can't I get a shave that's that fast, close and efficient? Introducing the Saracen MB5 shaving drone. It's so smooth. Combining the power of a mining laser with the convenience of a drone. It's like every hair is targeted by a fighter and destroyed. Saracen's patented shaving drone attaches to your face at the start of the day. Leave it to do its work, and when you come back to check, your face is shaved. 
He's so smooth. It's like I'm mining my face. The Saracen MB5 shaving drone. Now I feel manly. Saracen shaving. Making shaving an unnecessary adventure. I'd been passionate about audio drama for a long time and I'd been looking for a way to get a project of my own off the ground and actually playing around with these adverts and in some instances creating dramatic scenes made me realise that I actually already had the tools at my disposal to create the thing that I wanted to create. I mean, that's not to say that I haven't gone out now and got additional bits of tech, but actually those first forays into producing drama was done entirely with the same tools that we did with the normal podcast. So to give a bit of an idea then, we've got development news coming from the games company looking at this particular procedurally generated world of 400 billion star systems with a a very rich history. The new game set in 3300 AD, the previous games set in the the previous centuries. And we're kind of trying to put a science fiction drama out here that is filling gaps when development news is light to start with, but then finding itself such a large audience that it's kind of taking off on its own. You've recruited actors for this. Where did you get them from? Well, I'm a member of an amateur dramatic society in Coventry. Some of the guys I used for the audio drama were fairly new members. Some of them were people I'd known for a few years. And it was just great to have on on hand a cast of people who were willing to come and join me on the experiment. And I think for actors that have done stage acting, I think if you present them with something like an audio drama where they're just using their voice, there's no physicality at all. You've got to kind of get it all into that one tool at your disposal. I think most of them, you know, absolutely relish the challenge. Certainly at the theatre, one of the things that I'd done in previous years was we'd done old radio scripts as a stage production. So that was really my first sort of experience of it behind the mic. Let's take it through then. So to start with, in terms of doing the Lave Radio podcast, what kind of equipment are we using to get that to the listener? And then let's build on that towards what it requires for an audio drama. So for Lave Radio, what are we using? (laughs) I think the four of us... We've all taken our turn at editing the podcast. And I think it's fair to say that sometimes all four of us have a very different approach. We're not all in the same location. One of us is in Cardiff. One of us is in Nottingham. One of us is just south of Leicester. uh, and The other one's down in Dunstable. If anybody's listening to this in the States, those places are all sort of between two and three hours apart. So we're not really getting together physically every fortnight to do these podcasts. So we use Skype. And that is the kind of driving force behind recording the podcast. We did initially experiment with TeamSpeak, but for one reason or another, it's just not a very practical tool to use for a sustained conversation. So we use Skype. For safety, everybody kind of records locally because Skype being a bandwidth dependent service, you'll find that sometimes you'll be talking to somebody and their response will just kind of drop out. But they obviously don't know they've dropped out, so they'll have carried on talking. And it's a really useful thing to have everyone involved in the podcast record their own microphone feed because that way when you're editing if anything drops out you can kind of go to another recording and say where's this person's thing personally i like to use everybody's local feeds and i tend to strip out the stuff that's been received through skype that's just a personal preference i know that the other guys will just take a single recording of the conversation and they will go through and they will only paste bits in from other recordings where things become inaudible or difficult to listen to. But in terms of how we started, I mean, from my point of view, we started just using Audacity, which is a sort of free sound wave editor. And also, I think we should mention that in terms of recording, 
I'm using Pamela as my plug-in to record the conversation. What are you using at the moment? Yeah, so you've got different options for recording Skype. What Pamela does, in case people aren't aware of it, is that Pamela records Skype conversations. I confess I don't use Pamela myself, so I'm not aware of what else it's useful for. But what Pamela will do is it will record your local feed and it will record the responses you get from Skype. And I believe Pamela will separate out the recordings. Depends on which version you've got. The one I've got doesn't. It's just the call recorder version, which is quite cheap, whereas the full-blown version yeah, separates into separate tracks. So what are you recording the conversation on at the moment? So I use a piece of software called MP3 Skype Recorder, which is a piece of freeware which essentially does the same job as Pamela, but it's a little bit less pretty. <laughs> it can take a bit of poking to get it working. Skype has certain third-party interfaces that it exposes in order to allow programs like Pamela and MP3 Skype Recorder to talk to it. And I think sometimes getting that relationship working between the bits of software can be a bit challenging. Pamela generally does a slicker job because obviously it's a paid product, but MP3 Skype Recorder, if you can get it working, does work fine and has the advantage that even for a free piece of software, it will put your own voice in the left-hand channel and then it puts your other conversation people in the right-hand channel so you can get your hands on your local feed. Which is easy then to duplicate in stereo, but we'll come to that in a minute. Certainly advice, and we picked this up from early on, advice is to anyone attempting to record just a normal podcast. We'd recommend headphones, we'd recommend some sort of microphone that's external to the computer at least to start with but there's certainly a very different quality level isn't there between a podcast recording similar to how we're doing it now and to then stepping up to audio drama so before we move on to editing and we'll move on to editing in a minute what's the difference in relation to recording for an escape velocity episode by comparison to a normal podcast episode like Lave radio well certainly audio drama relies on the recording being made in the person where the place is Okay. We did do some experiments with having cast members contribute their performances via Skype. And honestly, for two different reasons, we never really got the quality that we wanted. I mean, if I tried to record their performance over Skype, what I got was a very low bitrate recording. And if my actors recorded their dialogue on their own equipment, you know, not everybody who's good at performing or keen to perform is necessarily very good at knowing how to record good sound. With a podcast, you accept that you're listening to a recording and if there's occasional quality issues that creep in, I don't think people are really concerned because they know what they're listening to. But with audio drama, you're looking to create the illusion of real life going on kind of in your ears. So you need that sound and that dialogue to be absolutely clear, to be free of digital distortion. It needs to sound like you're listening in on a scene. So I think one of the main things to do with making drama as a podcast is you really have to kind of either be in place with your actors and managing the recording yourself, or you need to be sure that your actors, if they're doing their own recording, really know their stuff in terms of giving you a clean recording. And in fairness to the people who volunteered for Escape Velocity over the last 18 months, I have had some recordings that were absolutely brilliant. So we can kind of unpack this a little bit. In terms of the normal live radio recording, we're looking at perhaps either a freeware piece of recording equipment, as you've mentioned, or Pamela Call Recorder, which is about... Uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 pounds. So that's essentially the costings there. And then you're looking at a pair of headphones with a microphone, similar to your gaming headphones with a microphone. You could pick those up for maybe a fiver, something like that. A little bit better quality, you might want sort of 10 or 15 pounds. So actually, it doesn't cost an awful lot because obviously Skype is free. 
just need your Skype account. And then it's just your time, really. But then when we start to move into audio drama, that's kind of recording facility costs a little bit more, doesn't it? What did you do to start with? And, and how much has that evolved now that you're two seasons in? Going back maybe before Escape Velocity, looking at those dramatised adverts that we recorded... In fairness, that was actually just done using a laptop and actors around a single microphone, because obviously at that point, you know, I was still experimenting. So being clear on this, this was not a headset microphone. I did already happen to own a fairly reasonable condenser microphone that basically just plugged into the microphone slot in the side of the laptop. And I set it up on a microphone stand, again, that I, I confess I already owned. I mean, it was a 10, 15 quid microphone stand that I bought from gigging with a band. So, yeah, I mean, it was just recorded straight onto the laptop and those initial experiments. Again, they were edited on the free software Audacity. When we get into editing, I'll come on to why Audacity is not your friend when it comes to producing audio drama. Sure. Cool. OK. So and initially a condenser microphone, obviously a little bit more expensive than just the headset mic. But you've moved on a little bit since then. What's the setup now? The first thing I realised I wanted was the ability to capture performances on their own individual channels. Okay, so that's the key. Because you can produce very clean drama around a single microphone. I mean, there's plenty of shows that are recorded on the radio that use shared microphones. But what that requires is it requires you to have an awful lot of rehearsal time and you basically have to have that performance that you record around a single microphone has to be spot on because you can't fix it. Once you've got everyone's voices on a single channel, it's very hard to correct any errors. One of the advantages of recording actors in a scene on individual microphones If you can isolate the sound enough so that you only have one actor's voice on a channel, it means that if you then come into editing and you change your mind about a scene, you know, if you want to change the order that the lines are spoken, or you want to adjust the timing between what one person says and their response, if you have everyone on separate channels, you can move that dialogue around and you can edit it the same way you edit video. So the first piece of equipment I bought was something to allow me to record actors on multiple channels. Most of the recording devices you'll buy, little miniature desks these days, tend to give you either one or at most two simultaneous inputs. Now, if you only want to record two people, that's obviously not a problem. Now, I was looking at obviously a larger cast and a a multi-microphone setup. So I went out and bought a piece of equipment which effectively gives me eight simultaneous inputs. So I can take eight individual microphones into this particular desk record them all on their own channel and have them all clean. I mean, there's environmental issues, but essentially that's what this has given me. Now, this piece of equipment, it's the Zoom R16. It's a slightly older product, but it does exactly what I needed it to do. So it's a really useful portable recording desk. It records to SD card and it supports up to, I'm not sure, I think I use 16 gig SD cards, which gives me, to be fair, quite a lot of recording time, even if I'm using all eight channels. When you look at it for drama, it's a piece of equipment that is very obviously designed for music recording, but it works excellently for drama because it gives you all these channels and it also has a certain number of vocal effects if you want to do things in the desk. I mean, I personally don't. I do all that in post-production, but it's an amazingly useful piece of kit. Retails at about £300. So this was a bit more of an investment coming into the audio drama. The other thing I went out and did was I bought three identical microphones. Now, this is an important point for anyone that's thinking about doing recording. You can spend almost anything you like on a microphone. You can literally spend thousands of pounds on a single microphone if that's what you want to do. My advice to anybody starting out, the single most important factor 
about getting a decent recording is the environment you record in. Okay, so when we recorded Series 1 of Escape Velocity, I went down to the theatre that I do amateur shows with. I wanted a soft recording environment. Now, a soft recording environment is a dark room. So a bright room is a room that gives you lots of sound reflections. A dark room is a room that hardly reflects at all. So one of the things the theatre has is lots of curtains. So we went into the theatre, we set the microphones up on the stage, we closed the front curtains on the stage, we closed the back curtains on the stage, we set the microphones up next to the fabric and the actors talked so that their voice hits the microphone first. Your actors have to talk into the microphones, but the reflection of their voice was almost non-existent because that sound hits the heavy fabric of the curtains and it doesn't reverberate and that's great because you get nice clean recordings with no echo no weird kind of frequency bounces that you get in in kind of oddly shaped rooms and i would say for the purpose of this podcast where we're talking equipment we're sort of talking equipment and technique and anybody who asks me about microphones i always say actually the thing you need to focus on first make sure you've got a good environment to record in. Because if you haven't, there are really good expensive microphones that can fix that problem for you. But generally speaking, unless you go up into silly money, even a reasonably decent microphone won't give you a good recording if you've got a horrible environment to record in. So Escape Velocity Series 1, those three microphones I bought were 25 quid each. And they are, in the nicest possible way, they are genuinely terrible microphones. But with that recording environment, I mean, go and listen to Escape Velocity, the quality of the voices and the quality of the performances comes through. In terms of recording speech and in terms of creating a believable drama, they do the job perfectly well. Amid the stars in the sky, humanity expands and thrives as it pushes back the boundaries of the universe. From the luxury of the core systems to the harsh worlds of the frontier, men still fight. Some fight for survival or greed. Some fight for a flag and others for retribution. But across the lonely darkness, they all share one aim. To be elite. Escape Velocity an Elite Dangerous audio adventure serial, written and produced by Christopher Jarvis. Episode 1, Unwelcome Cargo. What that does is that sort of indicates the step, doesn't it, really? Because, you know, when you're talking about a, a standard podcast, as we've said, it, it can be quite easy and specific. As long as the words are clear, that's really the main thing. You want to get rid of hum. Those kind of things can be done in post, but you can't add quality, as it were. That was season one. What happened in season two? Where did you record then? Well, season two was recorded in very much the same way. I had a few issues with the venue not being available. Sometimes in a multicast drama, you can't get all your actors together on the same day. So for season two, one of the characters recorded all of his dialogue in a solo session with me performing the other characters. 
And basically, we created a similar environment here at home. So I hung up two duvets, uh, just duvets off the bed, stood the guy between them with a microphone set up, and he did his lines. But what that demonstrated to me was that in terms of moving the drama forward and wanting to actually have a space that I could rely on in a dedicated sense of recording drama, we needed something a bit more. Now, this coincided with the Kickstarter for the Elite Fiction audiobooks. So there was a publisher that was putting together funds for producing audiobook versions of some of the elite novels that were coming out. And off the back of doing Escape Velocity, he approached me and asked me, I think initially some advice, but then also to commission me to produce those audiobooks. And one of the things that I'd said in the negotiation for putting this project together was what I actually need is a dedicated recording space. Now, but when I started talking about this, a few people said, why don't you hire a studio for the day? If you want to go and hire a recording space for the day, studios will charge you anything between 500 and a thousand pounds to go in and record that comes with a sound engineer obviously if you have your own recording space and your own studio your own projects become very cheap so one of the things that we sort of worked out in the negotiation around the budget was funds to build a private studio space in my home in my garage now i am not a sound engineer i am an audio drama director and i'm a writer and everything that I know about audio recording and making things sound good, I have done by trying and I have kind of put together a series of skills which allows me to produce things like Escape Velocity and like these audio books that are going to come out. One of the things that is very good at reducing sound reverberation is soft fabric and soft furnishings. The design I had was to build a series of vocal recording booths with sound padding on the wall and my recording setup sort of in the garage. To talk figures, we had a budget of around £1,200. What I will say to people is, if you're going to sit with a catalogue and try and build yourself a studio for £1,200, you're probably not going to do it. But there are creative ways that you can bring some of these costs down. So my studio, all the walls have carpet on them. Carpet's a great material. It's fabric. If you pick the right kind of material, which I kind of did really by gut instinct. I mean, it has a felt underlay and it has quite a nice thick fibrous coating. So I kind of knew that it would be good for absorbing sound. So basically the design in the studio is you have breeze block walls and you basically have little wooden battens that I would say are about 10, maybe 15 millimetres thick. And these wooden battens are attached to the brickwork and then the carpet is stretched across those. Now that gives you two things. You've obviously got the soft fabric absorption of the carpet and then you've also got an air pocket space of that 15 millimetres between the fabric and the brick wall and actually that air cushion behind the fabric will also give you a surprising amount of sound absorption and kind of killing the reflections of any sound because the science behind stopping sound from bouncing away the way you don't want it to is to provide it complicated things to go through if a person's voice has to go through a carpet then through a space then bounce off brick and then come back through that space and get back through the carpet it has a very tough job getting back to the microphone for second hit. The other way we kept the costs down is the publisher's former life was he's the son of a bricklayer. <laughs> so for this particular project to sort of, you know, keep the budget nice and tight, the actual publisher came down and did all the brickwork in the studio, which is not a regular, you know, if someone were to say, I want to go and build a studio, the chances of them having someone on hand as part of their project who's going to say, yeah, I know about building stuff. 
I'll come and do that. But that's the studio. And, and the other way I'd say you can keep costs down, I mean, all the carpets in here are secondhand. We went on things like FreeCycle and we went on Facebook secondhand selling groups and we found people that were throwing carpets out and things like that. Well, there's a little bit of repurposing in all of that, isn't there? And I think we'll get on to that when we get through a few more of the questions. So let's move on to editing then. Once you've got your recording, typically when we're doing a live radio recording, we've already said that, you know, the four of us will edit differently. The way in which I edit is single track in Adobe Audition. That's my method of editing. And yours is different. You use multi-tracking using Adobe Audition. Yeah, I use, particularly for the audio drama, I use masses of tracks. I mean, just just a ridiculous number of tracks, because what I'll have is I'll have each actor on their own separate track. For an uncomplicated scene, I will have two sound effects tracks, an ambience track and a music track. For more complicated scenes, I've been known to have six or seven different sound effects tracks. Audacity, going back to it, is the free sound editor. The way Audacity works is you take your recording and you apply a modification to that file. So if you're in Audacity and you want to add reverb to your track, you can add it as an effect and that's fine. And what that will do is that will alter your recording and add reverb to it. And if you want to apply something like the sound of someone talking over a telephone, Audacity can do that and it will change your file. So you have two options with Audacity. You can either change your source file or you can constantly be making copies of your file every time you want to apply an effect. That's great until you want to go back and change something. And then you have to go all the way back to your source recording and you have to apply all those effects again. Now, what Audition will do is it will apply effects in real time to the channel as it's playing back. So what that gives you very quickly with Audition is a very powerful tool for editing the way scenes sound. So to give you I mean, a very quick walkthrough of a scene, say I've got two characters that are walking together through a park. So the first thing I'll do is I'll take their, the recordings of their, their dialogue. I typically make for a drama. Uh, I do. I get all my scenes recorded, at least two takes. Sometimes I'll take a third take. So I'll do one pass where I go through just to direct the dialogue. I'll look at the three takes. I'll take the best performance of each individual line of dialogue and I will chop that conversation together as I say with the actor in each of their own channels second thing I'll do is I'll have a think about what kind of environment they're in so if they're walking through a park I know that I want maybe a slight breeze in the background probably some tree movement maybe some birds if they're not too obtrusive that kind of thing just to sell the idea that they're outdoors and they're walking through a kind of nature space so I'll lay that down in the ambience track. Then the other thing to do is to apply a certain amount of sound treatment to the actors' voices so that they sound like they're outdoors. Now, this podcast isn't really a forum for me to go into how you apply these different kinds of effects, but there are reverb effects you can apply and there are EQ effects that you can apply to voices to make people sound like they're in different kinds of environments. And you kind of get used to that, don't you? The more you do it, the more you get used to what the sort of setting is in relation to what environment you're after. Yeah, and the beauty is with something like Audition is once you've created an EQ setting for a kind of space, you can save that as a preset. If someone is, you know, two or 300 yards away and they're shouting, you can create an effect that sounds like they are a really long way away. Realistically, they weren't a really long way away. They were right next to the microphone. But you can, through sound processing, you can create the effect of someone sounding like they're a distance. And once you've done that, you can save it as a preset. And every time you need that later, you just pull the preset down and it's done. But the beauty is, if you want to change it, 
you just go in and adjust the slider and audition does it all for you in real time so how long would you say it takes you to edit an episode (laughs) surprisingly long no i mean again it's one of those things you get better at it's a practice and a learned skill i would say that for series one of escape velocity they were roughly 20 22 minute episodes and really it took me the best part of two working weeks (laughs) to get those episodes done now i would say that i am producing the 30 minute episodes that we have in series two and it probably takes me four working days that's not including recording that's purely post-production so that's probably i would say two-fifths of that is just editing the dialogue and being a kind of director effectively and editing the performances i would say the other two-fifths is applying sound effects and ambience and making the voices sound right and then the last fifth is your kind of your music mix for for dramatic purposes. So by comparison then, so when we're doing a live radio episode, you know, they tend to be sort of twice as long, don't they? They're at least an hour, maybe two hours sometimes, which shows the dedication of our community that they listen to them. But in those circumstances, usually it's a day, maybe two days to edit one of those because it's only pass to tidy up, really, and then to add the music at the front, the music at the back. And if we're going to add adverts, we sort of have breaks in the middle to do that. So it's not anything like the same kind of time to try and get the precision and quality in terms of what's there. But then we get on to that post-production element of music and sound. So where do you get your music and sound effects from, Chris? (laughs) You, mostly. Um... So, you know, we're we're very fortunate. I run a company I called the Radio Theatre Workshop and we produce audio drama and audio books. And we're very lucky to have Alan as part of the team. Alan is a very talented music composer. And on top of that, because of his collecting of sounds for various music projects, he also has, you know, a good number of spot sound effects that can be used for things like drama and also used in podcasts. I mean, you'd be surprised even producing a podcast of people talking and doing things, how often you just kind of want a sound effect of something for random reasons. And I think it's fair to say that it is helpful to have places you can go to for sound effects because there are very few sound effects that Alan has provided for me that I couldn't have produced myself, but I'd have had to have gone and made those. So having a sound effects library is a huge time saver, particularly for drama. Now, one of the things to watch out for, uh, Escape Velocity is a free podcast. So you have the advantage that when you're looking at sources for sound effects, you have to look at the license and the basis that that sound effect can be used. Now, we have a number of sound effects archives, which we know are free to use for non-commercial projects. And then where we have the commercial projects, we then have to use a slightly different library of sounds that we have a commercial license for those. Very important to check that out, though. I mean, if you're, if you're getting into podcasting, you do be confident that you have the license to use the sound effects that you're planning to use. It's a very difficult area. I mean, there are a few websites that we've used for things occasionally. There's one called soundbible.com, which has a number of effects of varying qualities. But the thing that's nice about Soundbible is they're very clear on what the license to use those sound effects are. And I'd say that's a really helpful thing and real peace of mind, I think, for anyone putting anything together. So just to elaborate a little bit in terms of my role in this, essentially what I've done is I've been composing music since about 1997 and using Magic's Music Maker as my composition tool of choice, which is perhaps not as 
advanced as Reason or Pro Tools or something like that, which a professional might use. But what I've always done is compiled samples from a variety of different places, checking to make sure that, you know, that I have the licenses to use them. And gradually over the years since then, I've compiled this quite extensive library, which helps with my music and also has a, a multitude of sound effects that we can produce. And like you, Chris, I've kind of occasionally, there've been moments where perhaps I'm working on a film or something else where I've had to record a little bit of Foley. I distinctly remember having to do an effect for somebody being stabbed and taking a knife to a courgette in the kitchen under a microphone. And of course, that gives you a nice fibrous sort of stabbing sound, which is great. And you keep that. So what you then do is you've got that forevermore and you regurgitate and use it for something else. So we've got this extensive library of stuff. And then essentially what happens when it comes to music, Chris will do a cut that's non-music. Sometimes it'll have the sound effect on. Sometimes it won't. Depends kind of where you are in your production process. And you all have given me a bit of an idea of places where you want music or what ideas you want for music. And then you bug me on Skype and I disappear off to the loft for 24 hours and I come back later with something you can use. With absolute gold. <laughs> I'm kind of a hobby music composer, as it were. And, you know, it's been something I've dipped in and out of over the years. Over the time, we've reused a certain amount of music from different things. So it doesn't matter too much if you've got 20 or 30 music tracks, if one gets reused in two different episodes for a particular sting or a particular scene. And also, you know, sometimes you just want transitions and actually transitions can be like 10 seconds or in four seconds. Yeah, no, sometimes not even that. Sometimes just a single great sounding chord that kind of rings out, you know, is enough in drama terms to kind of separate one scene from another. And I will say as well, I mean, with this being a kind of a advice podcast to people looking at doing their own things if you're looking at producing drama not everybody can have a kind of a dedicated composer on the team who is prepared to kind of produce original music and again like having sound effects libraries there are libraries of music tracks that you can call upon to punctuate your drama because i mean we're not here to tell people how to make good drama but people know that good entertainment drama has music in it and i mean i can say without a shadow of a doubt that if we'd produced escape velocity using only the kind of license available backing tracks that we had it wouldn't sound anything like as good as it does with 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 having Alan as a composer producing fresh and original material and stuff that is in keeping with what we're trying to do with the soundscape of the podcast. I think that's the important bit because of course we've actually we've done a little bit in terms of looking at horror as well, haven't we? With yeah. with forced entry, which was a, a dramatization of a short story by Michael Brooks. When we looked at horror, actually it was a very different tone. So when we were looking at the music stings for that, there might have been one or two sound samples that were used that have been used in Escape Velocity, which is obviously science fiction, but the general tone of the piece much darker, much more discordant much more sort of lingering you know in terms of the way in which it's there so of course with animal crossing noir you've gone for another different tone you know you've got to find the tone of the music or the piece itself that you're you're trying to put forward yeah totally totally and i think even if you do end up using library music you do have to pick sort of a few pieces that are in keeping with the vibe you're trying to create and stick with those. I think if you range around different background music companies and, and if you were to produce like a short drama and you jumped around that folder using all kinds of different music to try and keep the variation, you'd end up with something that just sounded completely inconsistent. And I think actually if you pick out one or two pieces that over the course of the music gives you the right kind of sound you're looking for, you stick to those pieces. Just 
just use those. And actually, you'll find if you've got a three minute track, you'll only be lifting sections that are like 20 or 30 seconds long out at a time. So actually, a three minute music track will give you a surprising amount of variation, as long as it's a decent track. But in terms of punctuating the drama and creating a setting, it's better to do that and to chop up a single piece than it is to, for every different cue, have a different background track. Because it just, I don't know, you just end up sounding like a compilation album. So in terms of the evolution of Escape Velocity and the audio dramas that the Radio Theatre Workshop's producing and that lay radios hosting and presenting, we've kind of come from satires on advertising on the radio, which, of course, the music is quite generic because it's trying to satirise those kind of radio adverts that use generic music. We've then gone into very sort of atmospheric sort of elements in terms of what's there. We've evolved the cast and crew in terms of the way in which we started out with perhaps you doing most of the acting, Chris, and perhaps then maybe we get one or two people in from the community. We've then got professional actors and amateur actors mixed together, which is a much more dedicated experience. And then we're on our way to the actual audio books and audio dramas for official elite novels, which are due out later in the year. And you've got some of the big names have come down to your new studio, haven't they? Absolutely. It's a terrifying moment. <laughs> who have we had in? Well, Toby Longworth, who, if people know their audio books, certainly you don't have to go far down an audio book listing before you find Toby Longworth's name. I mean, he is an absolute god of book narration, a very talented actor, a very talented impressionist. And it's nice being someone who is passionate about audio drama to have a single voice actor who can come in and give you a cast of 15 or 20 completely different voices is an absolute godsend. So now we've come to this point in the way in which we are. We've got two seasons of Escape Velocity done. You've got these five books recorded for audio, which you're then going to release when they're ready. Looking back at where you started... What advice would you give yourself? Probably just that it takes longer than you think it's going to. There are no shortcuts in audio editing. You always end up, to a certain extent, I mean, you jump around, but certainly when you're editing audio, you're pretty much always editing in real time. When you have to listen to things back for quality, you're listening in real time. So I think I kind of went into it with maybe an experience of video editing, which to an extent there are processes where you can shortcut certain aspects of it because obviously it's visual so you can see the beginnings and ends of clips and you can actually join things together quite neatly but with audio editing it's very hard to kind of jump around until you've been doing it for so long that you actually start to recognize words in the waveform uh, which is always a worrying place to but you I mean you do you get to the point where you can identify certain word shapes uh, I mean I had for one of the audio books at the beginning of each chapter the narrator said chapter one, chapter two. And I did get to the stage where I could look down a waveform and I could see the point where they said the word chapter because it was always the same and it was at sort of regular intervals. So things like that, you do then get the advantage of being able to say, well, great, I can chop this sound file up into individual chapters just by sight. But most of the time you'll be listening through recordings. And it's kind of about the level of quality you're prepared to produce, isn't it? The amount of time you spend. There's that triangle that people talk about, about quick, cheap and good. And I think actually, you know, it kind of holds true here in that you spend more time on something when you want it to be good. And I think audio drama and even composing the music, it is often about the more time you spend on it, the better it can possibly be. 
And sometimes you've got to kind of step away because I know, you know, when we've wanted to release, you know, I've maybe finished what I'm considering as half a music track that I'm happy with, but actually you probably only need 15 seconds of it. Yeah, there is the element that it's nice to have options. Like I say, when we did the last episode of Series 2 of Escape Velocity, I needed a very particular vibe of music for a scene. And I know that I was talking to you about some original music for that. And actually, when I went back and listened to some of the other pieces you'd provided for me, even as far back as series one, I discovered there was a section in the middle of a track that I'd never used. And it was perfect. You know, it was a piece that kind of had a nice ebb and flow to it and it had dynamics. And there was this very low key section in the middle that gave me exactly what I was looking for. So, you know, it is it is nice to have these options. In terms of thinking about you saying, what, what do you wish someone had told you when you first started? The other thing I would say is, if you're doing drama and you know you've got a scene that you're going to add music to, I would recommend layering in the music before you've spent time doing the background sound effects. Because the number of times I have spent an hour getting the Foley effects absolutely right for a scene, and then I've applied the dramatic music that needs to go with that scene to it, you know, the guy goes to unlock the front door, but what you've done is you've added in the sound effect of him picking up the keys from the table. Because you're thinking about the scene in your head, and you're thinking about how the characters move, and you're thinking oh yeah, he picks up the keys, then I need footsteps of him kind of walking over to where the door would be, and then he unlocks the door and opens it. Do you know what? When you add the music to that, you're not going to hear the footsteps. You're not going to hear the keys being picked up. You do need the door being unlocked and the door opening because that's driving the action. It's so you know what's going on. But I spent a lot of time obsessing over getting sound effects just right that when you actually listen to it, you can't hear them. And I would say as well, when you've provided me with cuts, the advice I'd give if you're writing music for a drama is don't listen to the cut and then figure out for yourself how long a piece of music needs to be in a particular section. Write a piece of music to that length and then send it back to the producer with statements that say, here is this piece of music, start it here, finish it here, and it will sound great. Because you never do that. <laughs> So in essence, and I think that's partially a little bit of the way in which we work, and I think it's entirely right in that I'm not here to edit the audio drama, as it were, but it's me getting used to the idea that actually what you want is something that gives the impression of a particular thing that can kind of sort of set the thing up. And then you're going to work out how long you need it to be, and you're going to work out how it's going to cut together rather than me going, oh, I'll write it 1 minute 28 exactly in the section that you've said, because it never works that way. No, learning experience. And this is the other thing about not obsessing too much about about finishing the audio edit before you add the music because actually I mean you know we did this we started out and we I'd say I need a piece of music that's one minute and three seconds and actually once I put the music in the scene I realized I needed to add a bit of space into the dialogue and, and a section which without music was one minute and three seconds once I had the music in it was one minute and 15 seconds because you have to allow space in the drama to allow the music to punctuate the action and once you've done that of course your timings are all off so yeah that's that's <laughs> okay so i think that kind of gives us a good place to conclude thank you to everyone who's listening um to all our elite dangerous community fans and folks who hopefully have had a chance to absorb this and, and perhaps you know got a bit of an insight into our process of recording the production of escape velocity and how it's a bit different to you know, your standard live radio podcast or any other podcast and also thank you to nine worlds and to all you folks who are at the Nine Worlds Convention. And if you've just discovered Lave Radio, Elite, and Elite Dangerous, and Escape Velocity,
Velocity for the first time, do come and check us out. We're at uh, laveradio.com. And to find Escape Velocity, we're at laveradio.com slash escapevelocity. Chris has produced two seasons. So we've got the six episodes from season one, the five episodes from season two. And then to come will be the official fiction audio books and the official fiction audio dramas. So if podcasts, audio drama and audio books are your thing, and you're looking for science fiction space opera or slightly more introspective science fiction, I think you'll find that there'll be something there for everyone who's interested. So thank you, Chris. Thank you. And we're hoping then that uh, we might get a few more people come and listen. Thank you again, listeners. And hopefully you've had an entertaining time with us. That'll be all for now. And hopefully you'll join us again soon for some of the other episodes that we have on the website. So take care. Bye. Cheers.